This Bible study podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. We just love that you come to be together and to be with Christ. Um, so, there was just a little bit to cover this week in this week's lesson. Um, there is a lot of directions to go, and so um, we'll kind of see. We'll take a little journey and see how it goes. Um, I've had the blessing over the years to travel quite a bit. My husband and I actually lived overseas for about three years um, in Denmark, and his job required him to travel quite a bit. Bummer, because I got to go with him. So, um, of course, his work covered all of his end of the, set of the expenses, so it was just a matter of a plane ticket, and I was very creative with food and budgeting that while we were gone. So, um, so just had that blessing, um, got to visit all over Europe, um, even England, Ireland, Scotland, which are just beautiful and have amazing people and lots of things to see. And we even had three weeks in Beijing, China. So have had some adventures, have gotten to know what it's like to step foot somewhere where you don't speak the language. Um, maybe know the formalities, but that's about it. So navigating around and um, just knowing that you are not at home. But um, such an adventure in itself. And I think of all the comforts that we had along the way. We got to fly. <laughs> we had taxis or subways when we got to the places. And at the end of a long day, we had a warm, comfy hotel to come back to soft pillow, normal bathroom in the hotel, despite everywhere else in China. <laughs> Bathroom's a little bit different over there. Um, so we had a ton of comforts. Um, we had a safe haven to come home to. So when I think about all the traveling that Paul and his team have been doing, they don't get to get in a taxi to go to the airport because there is no plane. There is no airport. Packing your bags, well, maybe a bag, but traveling very light, sleeping wherever, not knowing where they were going to go, and yet they set out with eager hearts and hearts to serve the Lord. And so I just think about the contrast of that, never mind the travels or the miles that they go. So last week, we ended off with Barnabas and John Mark are headed, they're sailing to Cyprus. Paul and Silas are off to travel through Syria and Cilicia. These names are going to get me. Um, it's in Lystra that they are introduced to Timothy, and he's recruited to join them as they continue on through the regions of, here we go, Phrygia and Galatia. So on your tables, I put a map. And um, it's a two-page, so you kind of have some choices, but I thought it might be a little bit fun. I know when I was going through all the places that they're getting ready to travel onto, I was trying to figure out, okay, but where have they been, and where is that? And so it helped me to kind of sit and really look at the map and look at where they're going and look at the miles that that is. So there is a map in the back of your book, but I loved this one um, that I found for several reasons, um, one of which it 
notes where they were first, where they went, and so we can kind of track their whole little journey here. So if you look, Jerusalem is down at number one on the bottom right side. And so if you remember, Paul was in Jerusalem. There was the council where they decided about the circumcision. And so they send them off with the letters up to Antioch. Excuse me. Um, From there, this is where John, Mark, and Barnabas sail to Cyprus. And Paul and um, Silas head up through Syria and Cilicia. So you can see their journey through Tarsus and Derbe. And then to Lystra, Lystra, where they pick up Timothy. And so from there, you can literally trace the journey that they go through. Um, in So at the beginning of Acts 16 is, well, end of, kind of beginning, end of 15, beginning of 16. They take us through Iconian. You can see that. And then all up into the lower part of Asia where they get blocked, which is where they continue on to Troas, which jumps over to kind of the joining where the two pages join. And from Troas, if you look down into the insert, the small little square back on the original page, this gets a little tricky you can see the jump that they made. So they land in Troas. The next day they head off to Semothrance and then on to Neapolis. And that's then when they enter into Europe. And so from Neapolis to Philippi and then later on to Thessalonia and Berea. So it just, it it helped me to see exactly where they were going and which direction they were going. And then also you can just see the expanse of that travel and what that must have been like. And just the toll, I know the toll it takes just flying over the Atlantic, you know, 10, 12 hour flight I can remember, and being exhausted. And it's like, why am I exhausted? I sat all day. So they're not sitting all day. They're walking, they're traveling. Um, Again, meager comforts. So the fact that they're doing so with these open, eager hearts, they're just so looking forward to ministering and doing God's work that to me that's kind of God's first unexplainable way that these men have this heart to serve our Lord under these circumstances that aren't very comforting (laughs) as far as their travel. So if we go to our scripture and look back at Acts 16... There's a little something that I wanted to make sure we didn't miss. So they are, let's see, I got to get there. Okay, so in Acts 16, 9, this is when during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So there's a key word in that. It goes on in verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So notice the word us and we. 
And this is the point that Luke joins Paul and Silas on, and Timothy on their journey. So this is the first um, that we have of Luke actually being present with them. Luke continues to stay with them until through their time in Philippi. And then fast forward to verse 40, Luke changes back to they, indicating that he is going to stay in Philippi, which is said to be his hometown. And it isn't until Acts um, chapter 20 that Paul comes back to Philippi and Luke rejoins the mission. So... um, during this whole time, these accounts, Paul's actually, or Luke is there firsthand. So I just love that he has been brought into the fold on this. We don't know how he came to be there, what prompted him to be able to join the mission trip. Luke doesn't give us those details again, but um, we do know that he's there. So Philippi is it's a chief Roman city, northeastern Macedonia. It's location on the Aegean Sea, and again, you can reference the maps if you want to. So it's right on the Aegean Sea and on the Via Ignatia, which is one of the main roads that travels across Greece from the Adriatic coast to Byzantium. This is also the city that later, when Paul does return, he writes um, First and Second Corinthians here on that later trip. So I thought that was kind of a fun little tidbit of information. In the deeper discoveries that Erica Wiggenhorn provides, um, if any of you have dealt there, she um, gave us some more background on Philippi. So it was founded by army veterans. There was a battle in 42 BC, and um, that city was established after that. So after their service, soldiers were given either a large stipend to pay or a piece of land that they could settle. And so many of them chose to settle and live um, and establish Philippi. So it's said to be a mini Rome. Um, The further west that you travel, that they traveled, the more Roman the cities became. So um, when you think about the fact that There's a huge population there in Philippi, but when Paul and the mission team go to find the synagogue, there isn't one. There is typically 10 men present to form a synagogue. So even in this little mini Rome of a city, there aren't enough men to have a formal synagogue. So that is why we find them traveling down to the river in order to pray and to worship on the Sabbath. Down at this river is where Paul and the team meet the first members of the church in this city. In Acts 16.13, we meet Lydia. So she's a Jewish woman. She's a dealer in purple cloth. And the detail of the purple made me wonder. So, of course, that is a very expensive cloth, is what I found out. And so she was well-established. She was a businesswoman. Um not typical in these times. Um, So she has her own household, and they are down worshiping at the river. She's from the city of, here we go again, I'm going to blow this, Thyatara, which the interesting little side fact about that is it's one of the seven churches of Asia Minor that's addressed in the book of Revelation. So in chapter 2 of Revelation, verses 18 to 29, it's, 
it talks about that the church in this city, so where Lydia is, where she's from, and that gets established, it's very faithful in many, many ways throughout all the years. However, they didn't um, retrain a false prophet. So there was a false prophet that was misleading believers into practicing fornication and eating meat that had been sacrificed. So the Lord calls the Christians there to repent. So fun little tidbit. Um, It's always nice when, again, the story feeds through. So scripture tells us that Lydia is a worshiper of God, that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She and her entire household were baptized. Oftentimes when God calls one member of a family, it's often the way that he draws the rest of that household into his family. So here we have Lydia, a woman, being named in the Bible, her faith story told in the Bible. It's her house that the mission team goes to stay. So this is where they dwell when they spend their time in Philippi. It's her house that is the first church of the first Christian community in Europe. So we've got a really significant time going on here. And Lydia's open heart and openness to hear the word is what starts it. So the church is entering Europe through a woman. And I just loved that. The story that Luke takes us to next, another unexplainable thing, is that of a slave girl. So here Paul and his team are being called to Macedonia through a vision for a man calling them in. But first we have Lydia, a woman, and now we're moving on to another story of a slave girl. So the slave girl, she's got a spirit that is in her that predicts the future, and her owners are using her for their income. So they're using this ability of hers for their income. For many days, I love the scripture, so for many days she followed Paul, Luke, Silas, and Timothy, and she's shouting at them, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you to be saved. So a couple things about this struck me and made me wonder. What she's yelling, really, it's not untrue. It is who they are. It is what they're doing. So there's nothing necessarily wrong in what she's saying, that she's shouting it and following him. I'm curious what draws her to do that. I also wonder, Paul, like, why did he wait so long? If he knows he has, he knows that God's given him this power to take the spirit away from her, but he waits. So I'm thinking about all these things as I continue to read. I love that Luke includes that Paul finally becomes so annoyed that he turned around and commanded the demon out of the poor girl. Hearing that word, like, I was like, oh, good, even Paul gets annoyed. Yay! I'm okay. (laughs) And so a little bit relieved to hear that even Paul, who's doing this amazing work, still has his moments, just as I do. But then I had to stop myself because I thought, wait a minute, mm, that's not right. (laughs) That can't be why that fact's included. 
So I kind of spent some time just looking at other translations and then looking up some of the original, um, what the original text might be able to be translated to. And there are a few commentaries that, com that um, include the fact that the word that was used that could be translated to annoyed can also mean grieved. And so I had to stop and think, okay, so day after day, this girl is following Paul. He's following the team. They're going down to the river to do God's work, to pray, to be together. And she's following him, and she's shouting this thing. When I put it in the context of him being grieved, it made me think his heart is hurting that this spirit has control of her. It's hurting that these men are utilizing that for their own good. And so Paul just gets to a point where he's like, his heart can't take it. I think he truly, he's like, I can't let this girl suffer this any longer. And so he goes back and he commands, he commands the spirit out. He knew that he, that God had given him that power. And so he finally yielded that power to her and the spirit left. When I think about the why he waited, and that kind of comes into play later. In Acts 16, 19 to 24, Luke lets us know kind of what we can surmise. The girl's owners were not happy that Paul had done this. So, of course, they drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace. They rile up the crowd again. And Paul, is, Paul and Silas are flogged and they're beaten. And... What's interesting is the men knew kind of how to get the magistrates to invoke what they did onto Paul and Silas. So again, very Roman city, what they use and say to the magistrates is that Paul and Silas were advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to practice. So they're posing that Paul and Silas are threatening the Roman way and that they're trying to disrupt that. That's the one thing that the magistrates don't want because you don't want it to get back to Rome that there's an upheaval and that the ways of the Roman ways are not being carried out. So I'm thinking that the reason Paul tried to wait so long in order to take the spirit out, he knew where it would land him. He knew it would land him in jail and he wouldn't be able to continue the work. And he needed time to build this new church up. And so he waited and he waited and he let her follow him until it grieved him just too much. And we know the time that he spends in prayer and that they spend together. And so there was obviously, it was put on his heart that this is the time and it's okay. So. He followed God's leading. He trusted God to go to a new place, to travel into the unknown. His team, his mission team is with him. They're encouraging him. They go, they do God's work. And again, he waits. He waits for God's timing. And he lets the girl follow him. And then when it's time, he releases the spirit. And then, of course, the outcome is that he and Paul, he and Silas are, they're stripped, they're beaten, thrown into the innermost prison cell. So when I try and put myself in this position, it's impossible because I have no idea what it's like to be beaten, thank God. 
Um, I can't imagine what that's like, how your body must hurt and it's bleeding and they're now in irons. So I'm imagining that sleep is not something that would come easy at this point. And so here they are, very dark hour. I would think to myself, oh, why me? Poor me. This hurts. I don't want to be here. But Paul and Silas, what do they do but praise God and sing hymns to him and pray to him? So they're embracing even those dark times. They're thrown into the innermost cell so that they can't escape. They're a huge threat. Well, in God's unexplainable ways, he uses that. So they're in the innermost cell. So when they're singing and praising God and praying to him, everyone in the prison can hear them. So what man tries to use for his own good, God uses for his work. And it's just amazing, of course, what happens. So praying, singing, praising God, earthquake, chains are broken, everybody's free. The jailer's a tad bit stressed at this moment, to say the least. Paul, somehow, if you imagine the jailer, he is not going to be down in these cells. He's somewhere separate in the prison, yet somehow Paul is able to say to him, stop, don't, don't stop, don't kill yourself. And so, again, we don't know the details of that. I have no idea what that looked like. I don't know how that was communicated, but there was something beautiful that was happening there. So the jailer stops, and the, he just comes to Paul, and he asks. He asks him and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas don't complicate it. They just simply reply, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They speak plain, simple truth in the fewest words that are necessary. And again, one person is saved as well as then his whole household. So God uses one to save the rest of the family. So I thought about this, the fact that they didn't complicate it. They go on and continue to share the gospel with him, but to get him... The first response is just, this is what you need to do. They simply answered his question. And so I think about what the lesson there is for me, for us, is we've heard this before. We heard it at the conference. Don't complicate it. It's simple. We share our faith. And if we have to, use words. And if we have to use words, use the simplest words possible. Don't complicate it. So we live our life with grace and love, forgiveness, And once it draws someone's attention and they ask, why do you live this way? Because I believe in the Lord and I'm saved through Jesus. Just keep it simple. I think sometimes we feel like we have to explain, go into details. And we have an example here of maybe that's not what we're always called to do. Just simply speak the truth. So at the close of this section, we have the First Church of Europe has a woman, a slave, and a Gentile as its members, as some of its first members. John Stott, who's an English Anglican priest, who's noted, he's kind of a noted leader of worldwide evangelical movement, he was quoted as saying once, the head of a Jewish household would use the same prayer every morning, giving thanks that God had not made him a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. But here we, but 
Here, we're representatives of these three very despised categories. And yet, they're redeemed and united in Christ. For, he goes on to say, For truly, as Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter our age, gender, any of that. We're united under Christ. Erica, our author, she reminds us that it's God's unifying power, and it's in us through the Holy Spirit. Are we allowing Satan to use our differences to divide us? We see that in the world, but does it sometimes trickle into us here, even in our church community? We're all different. We have different talents, different gifts, different backgrounds, sometimes interpretations of things in different ways. So are we willing to engage in the conversation and strengthen our faith and unite under those differences, or are we allowing it to divide us? Are we allowing God's unexplainable ways to work in us and through us? When I think about... I stumbled a little bit with this uh, God's unexplainable ways. So last week we talked a little bit about closed doors and I'll be the first to admit I see a closed door as a closed door. (laughs) Like, why is that closed? Why did that close? I don't understand and I'll grumble a little bit. When there's a trial, I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want to go through that trial. But what I have been able to do is look back So when I allow myself the opportunity to look back, I see God's unexplainable ways. I see it in a job I got fired from unjustly, I thought, when I was very young. But losing that job led to another one that then created huge opportunities for years to come. Never could have seen that in that moment. Had to look back to see it. I think about my parents' divorce. father's indiscretions led to divorce, but that woman ultimately brought him to Christ. So God's unexplainable ways, a sin, a divorce, and yet he's brought to Christ. And since that divorce, with the opportunity it allowed my mom and I to have the relationship that we now do that I don't think would have happened without that, is she was brought to Christ. So we can't I've just learned in those moments, in those, when those doors close, when the times seem dark, praying and being with God is, where, is what he's designed for us. Um, it helps me to, okay, remember, look back. Look at how he's used these unexplainable things in his way to bring about his work and what's good and best for us. I imagine that, so Paul goes on, his mission team goes on, they go on to Thessalonia, Thessalonica, and then on to Berea. And there's amazing stories here, and I encourage you in your small group time, take time in these sections. I spent some time over the weekend going through the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and to the Philippines. Oh my gosh. Philippi, Philippines, <laughs> and the letters are beautiful. His letters to the Philippines, they're nothing but rejoicing. He's rejoicing in them, in what they've done. 
he's encouraging them. His letters to the Thessalonians um, are just filled with love and adoration and his longing to be with him. So in reading those letters, we're also giving the tidbits that he lived life with them. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they lived with them day in and day out. They worked, they laughed, they sang, they cried, they fought, I'm sure. How could they not? It's human. But in every day, they did everything together. And you just feel that in the letters that he's written to them. They're beautiful. And it just made me excited. It makes me excited to come every Tuesday. We get to come to be together, to live together during the week, whether it's texts, emails. These things keep us connected and help keep us rooted in Christ. And so I would just encourage us to keep doing those things. When I wake up and I'm tired and I don't want to be in the, I don't want to do my study or I don't want to get out of bed, but I think, oh, but God gives me such gifts when I go. And so it's a blessing that we have one another. The last little tidbit, just with the brand, the brands, um, again, in the last day of the study, there's um, some great things there. They are an amazing example of receiving the message eagerly. So receiving God's word eagerly, and that word is used. They examine the scriptures, and not only do they examine the scriptures, they examine the scriptures daily. So they hear the message eagerly, examine the scriptures, and examine them daily. Those things help to keep us rooted in Christ. When the world is crazy, when it's noisy, it keeps us rooted in Christ, and then we're able to better see his unexplainable ways. So I encourage you, spend some time in those last parts of the lesson. Spend some time in Philippians and Thessalonians. Read those letters. Read them together this morning if you're called to. They're just, they're amazing encouragement and they're an amazing example of God's love for us that Paul showed through his spirit to these people. With that, I will pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much just for so many examples of what you provide for us. You provide all kinds of things that we need, some things that are comforts, and I just thank you that we have one another and we have one another in you. And I just pray that we continue to be united, that we continue to encourage one another, to spur one another on, and to live out our faith as you would ask us to do. I just pray that we share our faith, and when asked, that we just simply reply, it's all because of you. I just pray that you bless the small group time, bless these ladies, and just help us to grow closer to you and to one another. So I say these things in your name. Amen.